The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. The reason Christ appeared, the incarnation, was to destroy the works of the devil. On the cross, Christ inflicted a flatal blow, a flatal blow to that serpent's draconic head. And now, Christ is building his church among the ruins of Satan's fallen kingdom. In the gospel, in the gospel, the gospel in the Holy Spirit's hands is leading the Father's captives free out of the darkness and into the kingdom of His well-beloved Son. But the enemy does not let go without a fight, is not letting go without a fight. And this fight is the tribulation. This fight is this sad world. This fight is persecution. This fight is martyrdom. The last days. Yet, we are victorious. The scripture reminds us more than conquerors. For we know that Christ has conquered and he will return and put an end to what he finished on the cross. And this is the truth of Zechariah's second night vision. It's eschatology. Here God revealed to Zechariah and continues to teach us that we are in the last days. These are the final days of enmity. Enmity. Whereby the church finds itself at odds with the nations of the world. Nevertheless, these are days of victory. Now, when I say victory, don't think... American prosperity and health and wealth and so forth. No, it's something greater. We're more than conquerors of something greater than merely this age and its health and its wealth. These are the final days. The final days also teach us to be patient, patient in adversity as we long for the return of Christ. This is our eschatology. We are in the last days. That's the truth. Of this, la- of this second vision, this second night vision. We are in the last days. These are days of enmity. These are days of victory. And these are days of patience. Those are the three points I want to explore from our text this morning. We are in the last days. Days of enmity. Days of victory. And finally, days of patience. We are in the last days. Which are days of enmity, beginning verse 18. Zechariah says, and I lifted my eyes and saw and behold. Here he lifted his eyes. It's the same night. Drop over to verse 8. He says, I saw in the night and behold. Now in that same night, he's beheld the rider on the red horse. And now he lifts his eyes again and he sees four horns. Four horns. What are these four horns? Thankfully, the interpretive angel hasn't left Zechariah. The Lord has given him this interpretive angel, which we often see in the Old Testament with prophets. And so verse 19, he says, And I said to the angel, that's the interpretive angel who's standing next to him and interpreting the visions, who talked with me, What are these? He asked. What are these four horns? Now, thankfully, this Interpretive angel has given us a description, gave it a description to help out Zechariah, a description that continues to help us out today. So we'll need to spend time in the immediate text itself to discover its meaning. But when we look at the description, we find 
much Old Testament symbolism. So we'll need the Old Testament. The Old Testament will help us interpret these symbols. Now, failure to use the Old Testament and its symbolism leads many astray. Many get in trouble when it comes to visions in apocalyptic texts such as this because they, there's a certain ignorance many have of the Old Testament. And any time a minister or an interpreter lacks an understanding of Scripture, he puts in place of the text or he interprets the text through what he does know. And what does he know? He knows his culture. He knows his time. He knows his place in history. He knows the news. And so he brings that to bear to the text instead of the text itself. Ultimately, what he knows is himself. And so he interprets subjectively. And many interpreters, preachers, can captivate audiences with their creativity. But how they are really, really reading the Bible, what they are missing is the Bible, the text itself. If we confess the sufficiency of Scripture, we need to put away our experience to have the experience to experience the truth of God's Word. We put away our experience to experience the truth of God's Word. To bring any text, to bring actually to any text, anything else but the sufficiency of God's Word, to bring to the text anything else but God's Word, that treats the Word as if it needs more. To think it needs me. <laughs> It needs my experience. It needs what I'm reading on the news. It needs me. And, and then me, I become the final arbiter, the true supposed authority. And what really happens is you've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. You've actually bought into that old serpent's trick in the garden. You can be like God, knowing good from evil. What you've really done is switch sides and don't even know it. Yet armed with Scripture... Armed with Scripture, we can see this particular vision. And we see that this particular vision corresponds with other prophetic apocalyptic visions in the Old Testament. For example, horns. We, we've read about horns, and we'll read more about horns. Horns is very Old Testament. But before we jump to other texts and other horns, we've got to spend time with these horns. We've got to spend time with this angel's description. And the first thing we notice about the description of these horns is that it, it resembles some kind of animal. Look at verse 21. What are these coming to do? He said, these are the horns who scattered Judah. He says, these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nation. Here's the particular clause I'm going to look at. Who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah. Who lifted up their horns. Anybody like watching bull wrestling or bullfighting or bull riding? What happens when the 150-pound bull rider gets tossed to and fro like a rag doll? He lands on the ground. What does the bull do? He lowers his head in order to lift his horns against his enemy. Right? The, in Mexico, they do the bullfighting with the red, red cape or whatever. The bull is over there snorting and huffing. He lowers his head as to lift his arms, readying himself for battle. In the field, the bulls lower their heads to arm their head against predators. The verb here to scatter. The verb to scatter Judah and Israel and Jerusalem and so forth. 
That verb is the verb of the Old Testament that speaks of an animal scattering away its predators. So here in the text, we see a bull. A bull lowering his head as to attack, to scatter his enemy, Judah. Those were days of enmity. These were days of enmity against this bull. And the bull is armed against God's people, which in case of the horns is the case of all the horns in Scripture. Remember the, horn, the word horn, it's very Old Testament. Many visions of horns in the Old Testament, specifically Daniel. If you know the prophet Daniel, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel has visions of horns. And in Daniel's visions of these horns, these horns represent many nations. The first vision he has is of Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia is, is vision. He sees uh, the vision of Medo-Persia as a ram with two horns ready to attack God's people. Then he has a vision of Greece, the Greco-Roman world, which begins as a unicorn, some kind of goat unicorn. But then quickly he has four horns. And then those four horns give way to a little horn, a little horn that particularly attacks Zion itself. Four horns. And all of these horns symbolize in Scripture the fallen nations of the world against the church. And even here in our immediate text, he calls them the horn of nations. The horn of the nations. These bull nations, these horned nation beasts in Scripture, in Daniel's vision particularly, emerge from the deep. They come out of the chaos of the deep. And out of the chaos of the deep come the ram, came the ram and then the goat and so forth to attack Israel. The picture of the deep, or the word the deep, the lexeme deep, is a very Old Testament word, the deep, which we looked at last week in detail. Deep is a very Zechariah word as well. If you look over here in verse 8, you might not see it in your English translation, but it talks about the rider on the red horse. It says, He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen. The word glen, the noun glen, is the same word deep. And mostly translated in Scripture as the deep. So the rider was standing over the deep. And the rider on the red horse we know from last week is Christ who stood over the deep. That is, he stands over darkness. Christ stands over darkness in judgment. He stands over the deep with wrath. It's a picture of Jesus as the stronger man. As he told us in his gospel, who's come to bind the strong man. That he might plunder his house. Two offspring, two men. These are days of enmity between two offspring. And arising out of the dark deep, Satan has employed his offspring, the horned nations against the offspring of the woman. God's people. But it's a lost cause. It's a lost cause because the writer is sitting over the deep. And these horned beasts, the nations, are sitting under God's wrath and judgment. These are the last days of enmity. These are the days of persecution. God promised it. At the very beginning, God promised Adam and Eve that there would be enmity between the offspring of the woman and the offspring of the serpent. And here's the continued picture. Zechariah sees a vision of enmity 
These horned nations are the evil empires of the serpent who have slithered out of the viper's den to strike at the hill of the offspring of, of woman. And this is our history. It's church history. It begins here. It's a vision of church history. It's canonized church history. But we just have history. It's history. It's our history. It's today's history. It's happening now. Here today around the world, Christians are being persecuted, heavily persecuted, and Christians are being heavily martyred, especially since the rise of ISIS. It's not reported on the news, but if you dig deep, which I advise you to always do, you got to turn to more channels. If you dig deep, you'll see that there is a worldwide martyrdom going on today. And it's our reality. You know, Paul's command to Timothy, church, Paul's command to remember those in bonds, that's a command for you today. Remember those in bonds. Don't forget. Don't think this shadow, this, this reality of, of non-persecution, this reality of freedom is, is permanent. It's a shadow. It's a vapor. Train your children. Remind them is, these are days of persecution. These are days of hardship and trial. The beast nations are there. And that shadow could lift any day. Yeah, don't fear. <laughs> I know. Well, you're scaring me, Pastor. Well, don't fear. Because the rider still stands over the deep. And we don't fear because enmity with the church is truly enmity against God. Right? Saul on the Damascus Road, when he has a vision of Christ, Christ asks Saul, Why are you persecuting me? Was Saul persecuting Jesus? Well, Jesus was ascended into heaven at the right hand of the Father. But in attacking the church, the bull nations of the world are attacking God. In attacking the church, the bull nations of the world are storing up wrath against God as a consuming fire. It's as if they're awakening a giant. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And this is the truth sung out in the church, sung out in the church in Psalm 74, 2. In Psalm 74, your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 74. Again, just listen, follow along. Psalm 74, 74, 2, we are called to remember Mount Zion. God calls out, remember the people of God, recall out to God, remember Mount Zion. Remember your congregation. Remember Mount Zion where you have dwelt. In this psalm, the people of God are asking God to destroy their enemies. Look at verse 20. Have regard for the covenant. That's the Abrahamic covenant, by the way. For the dark places of the land are full of the inhabitations of violence. The covenant, Abrahamic covenant. What was promised in the Abrahamic covenant? Genesis 12, that God would bless God's people and he would curse those who dishonor his people. And that is what this covenant is asking God to remember, to bring down those to shame who have shamed your people. Verse 22, Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up you continually. 
in attacking the church. They are really at enmity with God. And the Lord answers in Psalm 75. Look at Psalm 75, verse 4. The Lord says, I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. And do not lift up your horn on high or speak with a haughty neck. Why? Because God will destroy the horned nations. Look at verse 7. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours it out. He pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain its dregs down. To attack the church is to attack God, and he will answer. Now, I must ask a question of the text. How does the state show enmity against the church? How does the state kill Christians? The state has killed Christians. The state is killing Christians. But how does the state attack the church? By what means does the state attack the church? What means does it justify? Because no people are going to just stand by while men kill other men. There has to be a means of justification. And the answer is in the number of horns. Verse 18, And I lifted up my eyes and saw, behold, four horns. Why four horns? Four horns is very Old Testament. And every time in the Bible four horns are expressed, the four horns represent an altar. Listen to Exodus 27, 2. And you shall make horns for it on its four corners. This is a good altar, the right altar, the biblical altar. Its horns shall be of one piece with it, and you shall overlay it with bronze. So an altar with four horns. 1 Kings 1, 50. And Adonai, or Adonijah, Adonijah feared Solomon. So he rose and went and took hold of the four horns of the altar. It's an altar. It's a bull altar. Bull nations. The immediate text bears this out too because the counter agent against the horns are craftsmen. Craftsmen have built altar with four horns and now there's a counter remonstrance. <laughs> These counter craftsmen. Verse 20. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. Four craftsmen who would come and tear down this false altar, this wicked altar, and would rebuild a true altar. How does the state employ violence against the church, or what is the means that they use to violate the church? It's false religion. False religion is the means of attack. You see, these are the last days, days of enmity with persecution through false worship. These are days of false worship. That's the enmity. You see, the horn of nations, friends, the horn nations don't want separation of church and state. They want you all to worship one 
as one nation under God. And when you refuse their God, think of Daniel 3. What happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Civic religion. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is one story, just one story in the story of church history. So many nations under God have used religion to justify attacks on the infidel. I know you're all thinking Islam. It's happening. It's not just Islam. Christians all throughout history have been put to death because they had the wrong faith. You see, the enmity is theological. The enmity is ideological. The enmity is spiritual. Now, you might be thinking, well, at least we don't have this persecution in America. Perhaps not. But the zeal is there. The zeal to suppress is there. You guys watch TV, you watch the news. What happens when a sports hero decides not to stand for his civic duty, almost cult-like duty, at the national anthem? When he fails his pious, cult-like civic duty to his civic religion, what happens? What happens to the baker who decides, I don't want to bake this cake for a certain group of people? What happens? All hell breaks loose. And there's a zeal there in that hell to suppress the freedom that the, the two individuals have, the freedom of free speech and so forth in our country. But the zeal to suppress those freedoms is there, people. Will we always have freedom of assembly? Will we always have freedom of speech? Do you have freedom of speech now? Will we always be able to say Christ Jesus is Lord alone? What if a politician claims Christ is Lord alone? Will he get wrangled by the media, by politicians? About the wear a scarlet letter, C? <laughs> or maybe a stamp? I get frightened at the charge, let's make America Christian again. Let's make America Christian. That kind of scares me. You know why? Because I know church history. More Christians were put to death. Christians in history were put to death by Christians. Christians putting Christians to death. One nation under God. Who's Christianity? You see, we're not immune from the enmity. How do I know that? Because false religion in the civic cult is pervasive. Yet again, it's not time to fear, for the writer still stands over the deep. Our God who sits in the heavens laughs, and he will speak in them with his wrath and with his terror. He'll pour that cup. And pour that cup of fury, saying, As for me, I've set my kingdom on Zion, my kingdom, on my holy hill. 
In Psalm 75, God declares concerning those who've lifted up his head against the horns. Verse 5, do not lift up your horn on high, for I will cut off the horn. Verse 10, all the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horn of the righteous shall be lifted up. See, we don't have to fear this horned assault because these are the days of victory. They're days of enmity, but these are the days of victory. This vision is a vision of a beast killer. Hear that, boys? Little children, boys? This is a beast killer story. I like that. I'm a boy. Verse 20 and 21, Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, What are these coming to do? He said, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head, and these have come to terrify them. These craftsmen have come to terrify the beast nations and to cast down the horns of the nations. You see, God promises here to send out craftsmen. And these craftsmen, they specialize in tearing down. They specialize in casting down the beast. They're experts in executing judgment. Exodus 21, 31, we hear that I, God, says, I will pour out my indignation upon you against Israel. I will pour out my indignation upon you. I will blow upon you with the fire of my wrath, and I will deliver you into the hands of brutish men, skillful to destroy. It's the same phrase. These craftsmen are coming. They're skillful to destroy. We see their power in Daniel's vision in Daniel 2. In Daniel 2, there's this vision of this massive, colossal giant with a golden head who lifts his head in pride against God. But with one little stone, he's undone. With one little stone, that whole giant is collapsed. In Daniel 4, there's the vision of the, the cosmic tree that grows from earth and, and, and ascends into heaven to cover heaven with its shade, to overcome heaven. But with one little word, it's chopped down. These are images of the beast nations of the world that seek to rise above God, His church, His place, our place on earth. But one little word, and these servants, these craftsmen, with one little word, they can destroy. They have the power of God. And what is the power of God here in the text? It's the writer. The writer who stands over the deep with judgment and in wrath. You see, the power of God to destroy, friends, is the gospel of Christ. There's our victory. There's where we find that we are more than conquerors in Christ. You see, it is the proclamation. The power is the proclamation that the fight is over. The battle is won. Victory is ours. Already, Christ has destroyed once and forever sin. If you believe in Christ, the very moment you believe, destroyed is your sin. Destroyed is all your sin. You are the forgiven. And the craftsmen are building you up and strengthening you in the image of God. You are being built up in true worship. You have eternal life. Death is dead. And the death of Christ is the death of death. Death is no more for the Christian. We have life eternal. The devil is already dying. Yet he's not completely dead. Yet here is the gospel. 
the rider over the deep will return soon. And when he does, the power of the gospel will cast this evil offspring down forever. And so, friends, these are the days of craftsmen. My craft is preaching and teaching the word of God. You see, ministers of the gospel are set apart to construct true houses of worship. We must tear down that enmity. We must tear down false doctrine and false worship and rebuild true houses of worship. We live in the den of thieves. That's our life. You walk and live and move your have your being in the den of thieves. You walk among and in the valley of the shadow of death. But it is here with your testimony, with your proclamation of God's grace in your life. That together the church is building this place as a house of God, a house of prayer. Turning this earthly den into the house of prayer. These are the days to protect and to promote acceptable worship for our God is a consuming fire. These are days to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ to this dying age. These are the days of salvation. These days are the days of craftsmen, the church. The days of true worship. The days of patience as the church waits. We fight the good fight of faith. It's our call to fight the good fight of the faith, to trust the Lord, and to be patient, knowing He will return, not to fear. But the answer to adversity, friends, always the answer to adversity is patience. You come to me for counseling because your world is pressing in on you and you're suffering. Part of the answer I will give you is patience, and I'll help you, and we'll work together with patience to be patient. There are other means as well to various issues, but patience is key. Patient in adversity. And the next key is this, knowing that our future is in God's hands, that no creature can move his will, no beast nation can thwart his will because he holds all things in his hands. Even the devil, as Luther says, is God's devil. He does with him as he pleases. And these are the days of overcoming. And these are the days of the cross. Patience. Patiently waiting for Christ to return to end what he's finished on the cross. And one day the Son of Man will consummate his work. He will consummate his work of vengeance against the dragon and the beast powers and he will hurl them into the deep forever and we will have paradise. This is a promise, friends. This is our last days, our eschatology. Tribulation, but Christ will return because the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.